The Upstairs Lounge just seemed to be the heartbeat and the soul of underground electronic music in St. Louis. That place was our home. That was music promoter Adrian Goff. I'm Jeremy Goodwin, and this is Cut and Paste, St. Louis Public Radio's arts and culture podcast. Okay, let's talk about the Upstairs Lounge, uh, which closed its doors in early November. It was on South Grand. It had been a mainstay on the St. Louis nightlife scene since 1992. Much of that time, it was a seven nights a week source for electronic music. The future of the upstairs was thrown into doubt earlier this year after the death of its founder, Tutien Tran. One of Tutien Tran's friends from high school, Dino Taka, took the reins for a while and he was assisted by Booker Adrian Goff. The club went out with eight straight nights of parties. For this episode of Cut and Paste, I sat down with Dino Taka and Adrian Goff here at the St. Louis Public Radio Studios. I asked Dino to describe what the upstairs lounge looked like. First of all, it's on top of a, a uh, Vietnamese restaurant. It's just one big open room, uh, and in, in the far left corner is the DJ booth. And if you walk in, you'd, you'd, the first thing you'd probably say is, is this is it? Because it's so small. To say 98 people could fit in there for an occupant was very generous. Uh, <laughs> if I had to guess, you, you know, you could fit maybe 60, 70 people in there comfortably. Anything mm-hmm. more than that, you know, it's kind of like it's too packed. To be able to get that close to, you know, somebody you, you really want to got to listen to is, is definitely a plus. The club provided this intimate space for it, too. So lots of times when you're going to raves, you know, in the early 2000s, you know, you're a little bit far removed from the DJ in the space, and, you know, you're out in the crowd, you know, cannot go backstage, certainly cannot talk to the DJ. Yep. And, um, and that's what was great about the upstairs lounge is that you could kind of peer up and look and see him and could turn around and go behind the DJ booth and perhaps catch a quick conversation. And that's what made it neat. So, Dino, were you there from the very beginning in 1992? I was. I went to high school with Tutran, the patriarch of the whole place. It really revolved around him. And I, I went to high school with him and we both grew up out in the county. Two was so popular. I mean, the reason why I was friends with him in high school is because he was so popular, and I always wanted to know where everybody was going. And so if you're friends with two, you knew where everything was going on. And and it wasn't just a high school thing. It, it translated to the city. Once he went to the city, he made even more friends, you know, and I don't even know how he met all these people. <laughs> and he, he was kind of a legend, you know, really, because he was able to – communicate to everybody you know you didn't have to be normal or weird or you know he he was friends with all sorts of life you know the norms and the weird the norms and the weirds the rich and the poor (laughs) and and all that stuff yeah i mean that was probably two's greatest quality was his unflinching acceptance of everyone uh, no matter who you were to greatness or to a fault sometimes um and that's what made the upstairs lounge a great place is that it accepted everyone and two made sure of it. He definitely stuck up for people, whether they deserved it or not, me included. His parents opened up Mekong in the late 90s, and uh, we would start hanging around South Grand, and when we turned 21, you know, we would hang out at CBGB's, and we'd go out to all the places that had electronic music. Do you know, what was the nightlife scene at that time for people who wanted to go out and hear loud music and dance? 
We used to go to clubs like 1227, The Other World, all these places that were open in the early 90s. Those are no longer with us? Those are no longer with us. Now it's completely different. Washington used to be kind of a dead street and kind of dangerous, and now it's, it's thriving and, you know, it's completely redone. But in the late 80s, early 90s, it was just kind of like a warehouse district, and there was a nightclub there and you know, a couple blocks where the city museum is now. They had another nightclub there, and that's where all the people flocked to to go, go, go out and drink and party. But you were all off on a, in a different part of town. Off right. in a different part of town, yeah. And, uh, South Grand. South Grand. So the upstairs is remembered mainly as a club where you could see DJs. Was it like that from night one? When it first opened, we didn't have any DJs. So if you wanted music, you had to bring your own music. And uh, we had kind of a sound system, and everybody would just leave CDs up there. And, you know, we'd fish through just hundreds of CDs, just hit play, turn around, make drinks. And then that's how it was for the first four or five years. And then I guess really around the turn of the century, we uh, he started having some DJs play up there. It was that long before yeah. that part of it? Yeah. Well, there, so, was a, there was a hip-hop night in the 90s, right? Yeah, th- it started in the late 90s, and that's really when we started making that transition because our hip-hop nights were, were insane. There, was, there were lines going out the door, and it was just packed. But uh, we were always kind of worried because we had these crowds just doing shots and just taking their glasses and slamming them on the floor like – or, and, you know, here I am. The only, I was like, okay. But we started transitioning into electronic music, so we built a DJ booth. That's really when it transformed the club. Instead of having the turntables resting on tables, he had them hanging from the ceilings. So that way any jumping effect wouldn't skip the tables. And, and that's really when we got rebirthed. So after that rebirth, uh, what made the upstairs different from other dance clubs? What we really had going for us was it was probably the only place in St. Louis where you can go and and listen to electronic music. I, I don't want to say EDM because it's kind of like a watered down statement of the music. Yeah, it's definitely a little bit more of the underground vibes, if you will. It wasn't... Uh, so much the mainstream sounds uh, like the minimal and dark and earthy techno and Chicago house and things like that. Not that they wouldn't translate to a mainstream audience, but the upstairs lounge just seemed to be the heartbeat and the soul of you know underground electronic music in St. Louis. It was accepting to all sorts of electronic music, you know, not just the mainstream stuff you'd hear at you know the nightclubs on the east side or even off Washington. We had that niche. It was kind of the anti-normal. So, Adrian, the music is something you had a lot to do with. Uh, The music was something that set it apart? There's definitely things that objectively just don't sell as many tickets because it's not as popular of music because it doesn't translate to the younger crowd, which is the primary demographic for when you're selling tickets to concerts. Um, things like drum and bass or minimal techno or hard style music and things like that. And, you know, that space gave it, those styles a home, like a home base. For example, the drum and bass on Sundays, you know, through dedication or selecta, I mean, that was a night that was going for almost 20 years collectively. And no other clubs would even play drum and bass. No, not at all. And it's, it's great music. It is. It's just it's great music. It's in the very aggressive style of electronic music. Mm-hmm. It's it, just very fast-paced, and some people 
if you, if you never heard it before, I know you're like, what is this? So you had a big drum and bass night on Sundays. Um, at the height of the upstairs, what were some of the other weekly nights? Every night has its own type of, of music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, on, so the format of Upstairs Lounge, the Mondays were the deep dubstep minimal nights. Tuesdays were always house and techno. Wednesdays ended up being a toss-up, but for the most part it was house and techno. And then Thursdays were always the hip-hop nights. Fridays and Saturdays were some sort of house and techno, and it was all dependent on which promoter had that specific night of the month. And then Sundays were always for the junglists and drum and bass. Okay. It also had a great dedicated group of promoters throughout the years um, passing along the torch and making the club what it was with each of its themed nights and things like that. So. And I think when, when people hear club, there's a wide range of things that people are thinking of. Yeah. And sometimes you're thinking of a place where they're going to be sure you have the right shoes on before they let you in or no hats yeah. are allowed or that's right sort of, yeah i get the feeling this isn't what the upstairs was like no so not at all how is it different from other venues a lot different because you know you, you you go to a lot of nightclubs now and you know you can't get in if you're wearing a hat you know if you're sagging or anything like that and this was kind of like the complete opposite you know we accepted everybody however they looked you know as long as they were not being, you know, not causing any issues yeah. or something like this. <laughs> and even if they did, you know, my God, too, it would eventually let him back. But, you know, that was one of the great things about him, you know, that he really was accepting and he always wanted to make sure everyone, if there was a major issue, he would figure out a way to solve it or something. Or if there was two people that were in the bar that were adversarial or, you know, maybe had some sort of difference he would try outside to the bar. Up. Exactly. Were you underage when you started going? I, I think everybody con- was. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know if I can confirm or deny that you know, statement. But can I ask you how old, how old you are again? I'm 33, and yes, I've been going there for about 15 years. So. So in the late 90s and early aughts, when you built a proper DJ booth and started having lots of electronic music, um, that's a time in American culture when electronic music was really making a move, right? Yes, yes. So do you recall, was the scene thriving at the time? You know, we used to go to 1227 and, and all those other places that had electronic music, and we listened to Mark Buxton play all the, all the time. Mark Buxton, Gary Mack, Gary Scotty Mack. And those guys would play also at the Oz, mm-hmm. you know, on the east side. And really, there was nowhere in St. Louis <clears throat> besides those places off Washington that had places like we had, except ours was more intimate. Those, in, the, in the 2000s, when it becomes more of an electronic kind of scene, what, it, what was the officers like in those in those? It was days? awesome. We, you know, we were right above— It was definitely above, the heyday. Yeah, it was a heyday. We, you know, we were above Mekong Restaurant, and uh, back then, Mekong Restaurant was, was really, really popular, so— they would transition from closing the restaurant down and then the bar opening up. So really, that building was packed from the morning till, till mm-hmm. night. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess somewhere around 2004 or five, you know, we got so busy that we're like, let's just go, let's apply for a three o'clock license. And we applied for the three o'clock license and How got late it. How late were you able to be open before that? Till one. And for the first couple of years, it was just, it was just crazy packed from nine o'clock till three, which is, which is crazy, but you know, eventually, 
it kind of tailored off into the place where people always ended up. We would get busy at like 1230 or 1 until 3 and have just like the craziest crowds. We were like, we should just open at midnight (laughs) (laughs) because nobody's here. And then by the time 1 o'clock hits, there's 100 people there. (laughs) But of course, too, was always like, no, we want to be open at 9 and, you know, transition from the restaurant to the bar. But which was okay. It was the only 3 o'clock bar that was always open seven days a week always offered high quality electronic music and the sound system was amazing yeah <laughs> how did two die uh two died in his sleep um I mean, he had sleep apnea. He did have sleep was... apnea, but um, in the end, I think his lifestyle caught up to him. Mm-hmm. He he was a heavy drinker. Well, not a heavy drinker, but he was a drinker, but he, he liked to party a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that coupled with the sleep apnea and he wasn't with his machine one night. He was, you know, was, was he staying out or something like he, this or, yep. you know, and he didn't wake up. Did so, he stop breathing? He just stopped like, breathing in his sleep. Mm-hmm. He it was, was he'll, he would have turned 48 yeah. in, a, in a couple of weeks. So after two died, uh, Dino, you started running the place. And Adrian, you'd promoted many nights there for years, but you took on more of a full-time booking role. Um, how did you end up learning that the Tran family was ready to close the place? Dino and Mr. Tran were in the process of getting a new liquor license because we were under temporary 30-day status or something like this, possibly going to get the 3AM license again. Okay, great. This is good. I was with Mr. Tran all week, and we had gone to City Hall multiple Mm -hmm. times to apply for the license, and we were going to have this neighborhood hearing, and we were going to talk about it, and and then we were going to go from there. And and then then Dino lets me know that Mr. Tran has decided to cancel the new hearings and that we're not going to renew the liquor license and that he's looking to sell or lease the building. And I was just like, part of me was relieved and part of me was just like, step back. I was just like, oh. It was kind of devastating because we had put so much work into it. Dino and I had put our lives on hold and, you know, Definitely doing a juggling routine. I know he was with his wife and kids being up every day, sometimes two or three hours after we've just finished. Yeah, so, I mean. You know, there's definitely an amount of relief. I know it finally hit when we woke up Saturday. I know for me, I know possibly for you, when we woke up Saturday after the last dance and just didn't have that responsibility of, you know, a beer order or going up to the club or making sure that, you know, Somebody has left their credit card or their jacket and need to go up there and get it for them, you know. You know, so that resp- that that onus and that responsibility, you know, was kind of off our shoulders. But, you know, when I was told that we were going to have to prepare for our last week of shows, it was, it was humbling in one instance. And it was also just very upsetting. But, you know, you have to be strong and take on the task and and do it right, and I feel like that that's what we did, and it was given a proper goodbye. Where does this leave the, the scene in St. Louis now with, with no upstairs? Oh, gosh, crushed. You know, I, mm-hmm. there really is no place that 
does what we have. There's there's some places that kind of sprouted off off Manchester that are trying to do what we're doing, uh, but it's it's really not the same because it's I don't know. It's just not as intimate. It's it's just not the same. I mean, there will always be people taking their events that they had at upstairs and continuing them in other places, like the Monocle, Taha, Tiki. Ready Room. Ready Room. So there's been other other places have been able to absorb some of the business, but like he said, it's not the same. It's not the same space. It's not, you know, it, that, that place is our home. And that was Adrian Goff and Dino Taka. We were talking about the late, great Upstairs Lounge. I'm Jeremy Goodwin, and this is Cut and Paste, St. Louis Public Radio's arts and culture podcast. So uh, you heard some music back there. Let me tell you what those tracks were. The first thing was a track uh, that I pulled off of DJ Feelgood's mixtape Fever Volume 7. That's actually an unidentified track. So if you happen to know what it is, let me know. Uh, Then that drum and bass song was by Origin Unknown. It's called Valley of the Shadows. We heard Armand Van Helden's anthem, You Don't Know Me. And that was Scotty Hardkiss's remix of Elton John's Rocket Man. Our theme music right there is by Eric Hall. And since you're hearing my words right now, you likely know this, but you can find Cut and Paste at stlpublicradio.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Cut and Paste is sponsored by Gemma, architects, planners, and designers. If you have a smart speaker, you have access to the entire world of NPR and St. Louis Public Radio. All the latest news and all the captivating stories. Activate our voices with yours by telling your smart speaker to play St. Louis Public Radio.